0: Um, Those of you who may not know, my name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors at Fellowship, along with Rob Sweet. And You know, Rob and I rotate back and forth between our Franklin congregation and our Brentwood congregation, one church, two locations. So we go back and forth. Uh, Before I dive into the text, I want to mention, many of you know um, Denny and Phyllis Boltinghouse. Uh, uh, Denny and Phyllis Boltinghouse. Denny passed away yesterday. Uh, again, some of you are walking with them through this, uh, diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer, um, passed away. I want to pray for them uh, as we begin. Um, it's, a, it's a sober reminder of what faces all of us, and that is death. And it's, a, it's actually a, 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 a reminder, even as we get into this text, of the difficulty we face uh, facing death in this broken world so i just want to pray for them and uh, i know many of you are walking with them and and we'll walk with uh, phyllis as she goes through this season father we are we are mindful that uh, death is a reality we cannot escape and when it strikes it it absolutely knocks us off kilter And yet we know there is a hope and that we, as Paul says, can grieve. Yes, grieve, but not grieve as those with no hope. So we pray that for Phyllis and family in these days, that your spirit would be so evident and present in a way that they feel your presence and know your good hand, keeping, leading, guiding, even in this. Thank you that Denny knew you walk with you, and his last breath was his first breath in your presence. In Christ's name, amen. Well, last week, Eric Hoffman, our campus pastor here, opened the word in chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, to remind us that this is a broken and upside-down world. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. And I must say this, and I shot Eric a text because... Having listened to his message, he did an amazing job. He did an amazing job. And so you need to listen to that because it leads into this. But we're going to pick up where he reminded us that uh, God's wisdom, and, and we're going to stay in this theme of wisdom and foolishness. God's wisdom is counterintuitive because this is a fallen and broken world. And do you remember he used the illustration of the map, that you got, you got a map, you know, and we don't use them much anymore, but you unfold it and look at it, and there's a point at which it helps you to just turn the map upside down to kind of see, oh, that's left, oh, that's right. And it's the same with God's wisdom. When, when we apply God's wisdom to the world, it's kind of like, well, this is, this is so counterintuitive to life and the way life works you know we think the world says if you want to get ahead climb over someone and get to the top and the wisdom of God says if you want to get ahead then bend down and serve Solomon himself takes us through some pretty stark contrast where he invites us you want to you want to know wisdom go to a funeral don't go to the house of partying see the world will say well we'll go to the party And Solomon says, go to the funeral, and on and on he goes. We're going to continue this theme in our text today, uh, the contrast between wisdom and foolishness, okay? And as as Solomon takes us deeper into this contrast, he is going to address what I think is one of the, capital T-H-E, most challenging questions that we all continue to ask, even to this day. In fact, humanity has been asking it, from the day that Adam and Eve uh, were cast out of the garden. Uh, philosophers, psychiatrists, physicists have been trying to unwind this Gordian knot of a question and all of their answers are insufficient. I'm going to say to you uh, that Solomon's answer, though it won't be insufficient, uh, we won't like it. Okay, So I'm just warning you now, we won't like it. But we need to hear it. And if we hear it biblically, when I say hear biblically, you know, the Shema, hear O Israel, biblically to hear is to what? To hear it biblically is to what with it? Obey it. Yeah, I just want to remind us that biblically to hear is to obey. To hear it's to do it. It's the same. You can't separate the two. To hear what he has to say, and I'll say it this way, to accept what Solomon says about this question I, I really believe it is to, uh, it is to embrace the gospel, to live free, to live with a hope that ultimately does not disappoint. If you haven't opened your Bibles, go ahead and do that. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 15 to 29. The question he seeks to unravel is in that very first verse of the text that was just read to you. I want to read it one more time. Look at verse 15. He says, I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. Righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. There's a righteous man. He dies. It's a wicked man, and he lives. Lives a long time. Some of you may know uh, Chandra Lassiter. Chandra herself was... Uh, diagnosed with a very rare pancreatic cancer, same as Denny, but it was very rare pancreatic cancer in January of this year. Chandra died on June 19th of this year. We just had a memorial service that I co-led on Friday for Chandra. Chandra was 49 years old. She leaves behind seven children. Oldest is 23, and then she has two boys, twins, that are nine years old. Did you know that Hugh Hefner lived to be ninety-one? I mean, he lived a long life. You know, Larry Flint founded Hustler magazine. He, he, it's back actually a pornographic empire that he runs to this day, and he'll celebrate his seventy-second birthday this fall. Now, now, I'm, you know, I'm swinging at low fruit, but I'm just saying, there's, uh, you know, there's people that, and, and you know, there's, there's wrongness. They're, they're evil wrong, that's not right, that's evil, things that they've done and do. And they live a long time, and Chandra Laster loved the Lord. She died at 41, or 49. You know people, you know instances in life where, uh, you know, it's the old song, The Good They Die Young, that young as children, infants that have passed away, died. Uh, Young people, children, young adults, good in the sense of that you know they know christ they're walking with him seeking to live a life that matters and then there's these evil people you know that you, you may know close by or from a distance you read the news and they seem to just thrive see this is the question this is the gordian knot that Solomon's going to try and unravel with his wisdom why do the good die young and why do the wicked live long and that's not that's not Uh, 100% true, but it's true enough, it's true enough that we all know that, and Solomon applied his wisdom to it. I will say his answer, uh, theologically and the text itself, you're going to see this as we read it, it's tough. Uh, One scholar writes this, this is one of those passages that sets preachers to pacing in their studies, wringing their hands, asking, what does it mean? The temptation will be great to either skip over it or just preach on a few of the verses. Now, I love this, and I hate this, but you know what we believe about the Bible is it 's authoritative in all areas of our lives, and we approach it this way we 're going to teach it expositionally, which means we 're going to teach it when we teach we 're going to teach you know, generally we 're going to teach Uh, books and so we teach the whole passage you know verse by verse paragraph paragraph chapter chapter books and once we teach so we're in the book of ecclesiastes so you know what we can't skip verses and i say i like it and don't like it i don't like it because this is really hard and if i was teaching like a topic today i would never in a million years pick this to teach you know but we must teach it and move through it but I say that to, to also say we're going to have to work. And this may feel a lot like a Bible study, and that's not a bad thing for any of us today. Now, I don't know how else to do this. I don't have an outline for you. So th- this is one of those. I'm just going to go verse by verse. we gonna take a little section at a time. I'm going to seek to exposit, you know, explain it. And then at the end, I'm going to try and say, here's the answer, to so- here's, here's the answer Solomon gives us. And we're going to interact around it a bit. So let's just dive in. If you've got your Bibles, keep them open because I'm going to move rather quickly verses, a few verses at a time. He answers this way, first of all, in verses 16 and 17. Look in your Bibles. He says, "Well, do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time?" Surprise, surprise, scholars are divided on what this means. This is the tough parts of some of the tough part of the passage. What in the you know, wouldn't you look at that and go, what in the world does he mean? Now, we look at that and we recognize do not be excessively wicked. I got that. Don't do that. Don't be excessively wicked. Uh, if you if you live a life of wickedness per se, generally speaking, you do things contrary to God's law. And that, that could be right down to eating well or, you know, treating your body well. I mean, you do things, you, you, you're probably going to die early. Now, we know there are exceptions because, as he says here, wicked. Uh, live long. But we get that part of it. It's it's don't be excessively righteous. I mean, don't be overly wise. Why should you ruin your life? That's the one we go, "What are you saying, Solomon when you say that?" Um he, he he's 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 trying to help us face a reality here, and one of the one of the keys to understanding what he's saying is to Stay in our context. Look back at verse 14. Eric covered it last week. i will come to this a number of times. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. I'm telling you, that means what it says, which means whether you're in prosperity or adversity, who's behind the reason you're in it, according to the Bible. God is you know we you know we didn't want to say it out loud God is and that's one we go yeah you know adversity yeah God you know we don't want to do that but but it's true God is behind that we believe in a meticulous sovereignty of God that the scripture teaches Uh, wisdom recognizes they're from God Um, why then here you know why then do good people die young and you know some good people die young and some wicked people live long what's the answer What's the answer? See, we don't even want to say it, do we? But what's the answer? God. God's in control. That's God, God does this. Well, what do you mean then? What would God mean by being, don't, don't be overly righteous? Um, I get don't be overly wicked, but why don't be overly righteous? Well, what he's talking about here is a is self-righteousness. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details behind this, but clearly it means what he says, but what he's getting at is don't be overly self-righteous. And what do I mean when I say that? It means don't, don't, uh, don't be righteous with the motivation that your righteousness now means God must be good to you. So that's self-righteousness. Don't don't think that you can live a good life and that you being a good person means God must be good to you in the ways you think of goodness, you see. Don't don't live, don't... It's good to do right. It's good to be right. It's good to be righteous. But listen, don't go after a righteousness by which you think God will be beholding to you because of that righteousness. Said another way... (coughs) our works of righteousness if 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 our motivation is works a works righteousness where i'm going to be right i'm going to avoid sin so god loves and approves of me see that that is utterly contrary to scripture ian provin a new testament scholar one of my favorite commentaries out on this book in particular writes this those who pursue wisdom or righteousness for profit you pursue wisdom and righteousness for profit, for gain, for, for gain from God, i.e., hoping to gain an edge over God and force his hand, are in no different opposition to those who pursue foolishness and wickedness. Really? Yeah. For both are guilty of hubris, hubris pride. He goes on to write, A dogged pursuit of being righteous and wise in order to gain God's favor. Is just as wrong as giving in to wickedness and foolishness because, here's the key, <coughs> excuse me, both are incompatible with the fear of God. Because both are incompatible with the fear of God. Look at verse 18. It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other, for the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Okay, what what does he mean? What's he meaning there? Well clearly the the point is is we know this from the book, that, that we're to fear God. And this is going to be the end of the conclusion we get to in a couple of weeks. We're going, to, we're going to talk about the fear of God, because that's the conclusion when all is said and done. I've given you three statements to describe the fear of God, and there'll be some others we'll add to it, because the fear of God is not just captured in one, one angle. It's like a diamond with these, these prisms in it. But one of the first things I said to us, I said, the fear of God is the wholesome dread of displeasing God. It's a healthy, wholesome Dread of displeasing a holy and loving God. And so what he's saying here is that the person who fears God holds both truths. What do I mean? The person who fears God recognizes, oh, I, I will not. I cannot, I cannot pursue a righteousness that makes God beholding to me. And I will not pursue wickedness as if I can pursue wickedness and it not have any consequences. No, I will, I will. it's weird how he says this, but I will hold both those truths and come through with both to say, neither of those are acceptable. Does that sort of make sense, you see? Some people take it this way. Some people believe he's talking about the golden mean. The golden mean of, you know, righteousness doesn't guarantee a long life, so... Don't be overly righteous, you know. Be a little bit righteous. Uh, and wickedness doesn't necessarily mean you're going to die young. So don't, you know, just, just be a little wicked. That's okay. See, it's the golden mean. Now, why do we reject that as an interpretation? See, we, we reject that because contextually we know you will find nowhere in the Bible God himself condoning a little righteousness and God himself condoning a little wickedness, as if that's okay. Do you see what I'm saying? So where, where others would interpret that as the golden mean, we reject that and say, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about self-righteousness that makes God beholding to you. Let's move on. Verses 19 to 22, he's, he's, he's going to give us an insight here into the process. How, how does he apply wisdom? <clears throat> he says, wisdom strengthens A wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your servant cursing you, for you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Let me give you two statements. Number one, he says here, Wisdom is powerful. This is true. This is affirmed throughout Scripture. Wisdom, you all, is powerful. How powerful? One wise man is more powerful than ten men. No, that's not what he says. He says one wise man is more powerful than ten rulers. You see where he goes? Rulers who have power. One wise man is more powerful. It's the power of wisdom. He says, secondly, sin is universal. Verse 28, really, or, or, or verse, 20, verse 20, we ought to hear an echo of Paul when he said, there is none righteous, Romans 3, there's none righteous, no, not one, no one who seeks good, none who seek good, there's none righteous. No, over and over, it's Isaiah 53 and, and Psalm 14, he quotes, but you hear an echo of this here. He goes on to say, for, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you see that here? So, Wisdom's powerful, he says. (coughs) Sin is universal. And then he gives this little anecdote. And he says, and I, I, you know, I think this is so applicable for us in terms of our day-to-day and in in particular social media. And he just says this, you know, sin's universal. He says, by the way, you need to be really careful, I think, you know, applying today, what you read on social media and what you hear, period. Because you may hear someone say something about you and you're going to get all riled up because you're going to look at it and go, that's not true. And you're going to, you're going to be mad as heck. And then he says this. He says, now, what, what I want you to think about is that you have said stuff like that about other people. Oh, oh so I sin too. Yeah, that's the point. I can tell you that that and, and if you were standing here so I'm not I'm not the exception I I am with you I we could all say this I've had people say things about me personally that are not true and I've had people say things about Fellowship Bible Church which I take very personally that are not true they, they have no idea that what they're saying that's just not true and they're saying it and when people say things in particular that aren't true about me or about fellowship I'll tell you what I do I have dreams at night of revenge and I get worked <laughs> up I do I get worked up like I'm just gonna set this right and and Solomon says Lloyd take a breath Hmm. Do you know the truth is that I have said things about individuals that weren't true of them? I have. And do you know that I've said things about organizations that aren't true, but out of my anger I said it, and it's not true of that organization. I'm not talking about when I was in high school. I'm talking about as an adult. And you see, Solomon says, sin's universal. If you don't think it is, I want you to think for a moment. Someone says something bad about you and you want to punch him in the face. And before you throw the punch, I want you to stop and say, wait, I've said the same thing about other people. So an awareness of our sinfulness, you see, restrains an inappropriate response is what he's saying. And that's always a good thing. He goes deeper in wisdom. Notice verse 23 to 26. I, I tested all of this. So look, I test all this stuff out. I test my answer and my approach to, to this Gordian knot of a question. I tested all this with wisdom and I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious, literally deep. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know to investigate and to seek wisdom and an explanation and to know the evil and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. Do you see the intensity with which he's approaching this? I mean, this guy's got zeal. I directed my mind to know, to investigate, to seek wisdom and to seek an explanation and to know the evil of folly. You know, it's just. Mm. And then he says, 26, and I discovered, well what would you get with all that intensity and effort? I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Now these next few verses, this one starts it and the rest of them go there. This is where it gets tough and, and we begin to read these and quite frankly many hold that um, Solomon was uh, misogynist, that he hated women and he, and he thought very little of them and no question, the Old Testament, you know, let's, let's face this. God reveals himself, and the nation of Israel is very patriarchal, absolutely. But Solomon's no misogynist, and I think it's a misreading of the text and the context that would move people to go there. Um, when you look at this, many commentators say this you know, proves he's a misogynist. He just looks at women as seductresses. They're all seductresses. So, you know, someone might stand up and teach his passages and look at all the men and say, Guys, watch out, they're evil. Who? Every woman. She's a seductress. She's a trap. She's going to get you. So, you know, no, that's not what it's... I don't believe that's what it's saying at all. And why would I say that? I've got to have biblical grounds to say that. Well, I hope we think biblically about these things and how do we interpret the Bible and apply principles of hermeneutics and Bible principles to, you know, interpret the Bible. And one of them would be this. Let's think about the context. Okay, we're in wisdom literature of Solomon. Uh, And we go wider context. And when I go a wider context, let me ask you a question. What other wisdom book did Solomon – Solomon wrote another wisdom book, and it's really close to this one. What book would it be? Proverbs. If you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is a contrast between wisdom and foolishness. That's the whole book. It says wisdom is this and foolishness is this. The whole book does this. And in that book, Solomon personifies wisdom as a woman and foolishness as a woman. And women, this is not, you know, you can't take one and the other. It's, this is in ancient literature, uh, you know, pre-biblical, that... Th- that uh, wisdom was personified this way, foolishness this way, okay? It's not a demeaning of, of, of ladies, of the female gender at all. Don't turn there for time, but in, for, for example, chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Wisdom shouts in the street, she lifts her voice in the square at the head of the noisy street. She cries out. She utters her sayings. It's Sophia. Wisdom is the feminine. It's a, it's, a, it's a woman. But foolishness likewise. He personifies as a woman, you know, as he contrasts the two. 713, the woman folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house calling to those pass by, come eat here. It's like, it's like wisdom and foolishness, Are both women, and they both say, come here, eat of my fruit. It's like, you better be careful you can discern the voice of wisdom from the voice of foolishness. That's what I always think about when I think of them both as personified as women. Now, the the woman folly or foolishness, she's described further in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Listen to this. Solomon says, for her house, who's her? Is it a literal woman? Is 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 it a woman Solomon knows who's a seducer? No, it's the The woman, the woman, folly, her house sinks down to death, and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. And it's probably been 15, maybe 20 years ago. I wrote in the the side of my Bible, beside that verse, I wrote these words, Hotel California. Now, all everyone's youngs in here going that makes no sense to me. But all of us old enough to you know be big Eagles fans here, why did I write Hotel California next to that verse? Anybody got it? Why, why did I write that? And you laugh because you can you can check in any time you like. But what, y'all? This is foolishness. Check in any time you want, but man, you get into foolishness. You can't get out. You see. So when we look at verse 26, look back at it again. Is it reasonable, exegetically, biblically, to look at this and go, yeah, women are seducers? Or is it more biblically accurate to go, he's talking about folly. Because folly has a hotel that anyone can check into and never get out of. And he describes this woman here as having her her heart as snares and nets and whose hands are changed. That sounds a lot like a hotel you can never get out of, you know. So, this is folly. This is folly. And I tell you this when he began, when when Solomon began to apply his great wisdom to this Gordian knot of a mystery, why did the young die? Good young people die, good young die, and wicked live long. The first person he ran into was a woman named Folly and Foolishness. Now, Hold that thought, we'll get to it in our application. He discovers a second thing, 27 to 29. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I'm still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. Behold, I <laughs> I have found only this that God made men upright but they have sought out many devices if you have an NIV translation they insert the word upright which is not wrong but it's not in the original Hebrew but then your your text reads I have found one upright I have found one upright man among a thousand but I have not found an upright woman among all these again accusations of you know misogyny or demeaning women um, no i I think there 's another way to see it. you know you could see it that way. I think another way to see it is it 's wisdom literature uh it's it 's not a narrative historical narrative he 's not speaking in you know in, in, when we take it literary, take the literary form we we 're aware of figures of speech, et cetera. when he says here even a thousand, do we take that literally? that Solomon said, I need a 1,000 people, 999, 1,000. Okay, now i got a 1,000. Now I'm going to go back, and, and he goes and he interviews it. No, we don't take that 1,000 literally. Why? Because it's a proverbial statement, and what he's saying is, you know, I looked at a lot of people. <laughs> I looked at 1,000. <laughs> I looked at a lot of people, and you know what? There was only one among this big group that had the wisdom that I'm talking about here. Are you with me on that? So you see, it's a, it's a statement to say men and women, looked at all of them. It's only a tiny fraction who are living according to this wisdom. Now, verse 29, I want to read it again. This is so important. He wraps up by saying, Behold, I have found only this that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. When you read your Bible, you know, our hope is that we become as bi- so biblically familiar with the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that when we read our Bibles and we read things and we hear hints of other passages, we go, wait, that sounds like, like you just read this, that sounds like Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And, and we'd be able to go, you know why it sounds like that? Because that's what he is thinking of. He, he, he's, he's gone all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And he's thought about it, and he said, you know, I thought about it, and I thought, you know, God made men upright. That's Genesis 1 and 2. Innocent, in the garden. And then he says, but man, mankind, men and women, have sought out many devices. Now, a couple of points. First would be this. When it comes to this question of um, this mystery that he's, he can't figure out, why do good, why do good people you know, die young, and, and why do wicked people seem to live long, and there's brokenness in this world. Why is this world so messed up? Why is it fallen and broken, in a sense, looking at all that? He places, the, he places that responsibility for the brokenness where? Does he place it at God's feet? See, he, he puts right here in this text, he goes, you know, they all go all the way back, and no, God made them upright, but they sought out many devices you see that so he's landing it right at at people's feet now i think it's a very interesting thing that solomon does here when you think about the genesis story god said you've got everything you know genesis the garden was about life with god as it was meant to be relationship with god relationship with one another responsibility and relationship over creation, wherein we were creative people, we make things, things are happening, it's, re- you know, I mean? it's that, that's the way it's meant to be forever. And God said, you have it all, but don't eat from this one tree. One limit, don't eat from this one tree. And we know that they decided, no, we're gonna eat from that. They were tempted by Satan and they ate from the tree. Now, Solomon describes that as they sought out many devices. Isn't that interesting? Because this is what he's describing. What do you mean they sought out many devices? Uh, Let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. This was fascinating to me. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I I study Hebrew scholars. You know, we can read and and understand in this way. And and, and there's a play on words, okay? There's a play on words. We don't get it in the English. But let me see if we might get it in the Hebrew. Look at verse 25. He says, I directed my mind to know, investigate, and seek wisdom, and to... And an explanation—that's the key word. I, I sought an explanation. <coughs> it's the Hebrew word sheshban sheshban That's the Hebrew word for explanation, and and it means much as we would think it does. But in in the Hebrew, it means to give a systematic accounting of something, a systematic, organized accounting so that you can present something as, look, doesn't this this make sense? Oh, you've put it in such a way that I can see this to this to this, and this makes the package. That's an explanation, okay? So he uses that. He says he's seeking an explanation. And then notice in verses 27 and 28, he goes into it again, in particular 27. He says, I was adding one thing to another to find an explanation. Shishban. Adding one thing to the other. You see, it's kind of an accounting term that I'm going to account for this, and then I'm going to add this, and I'm going to come up with a perfect sum, and here's your answer in a systematic way. I've given you a sheshma. I've explained it, okay? And then when he gets to verse 29, he goes, you know what I've found? Only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Not the same literal Hebrew word, but the same root, so that devices, and by the way, your NIVs say schemes. Devices is the Hebrew word sheshban. Just a little in front of the sheshban. So Solomon says, I am gonna sheshbon this. I'm gonna explain it. I'm gonna sheshban this. And he thought and he stepped back and said, Oh my goodness. God made people upright, but from the very beginning, they have been Shishban-ing all the time. And you're still going, Boy, what do you mean by that? I mean this. Solomon's saying, I'm seeking out an explanation. I'm seeking out an explanation. And what Adam and Eve did was God said, here's the explanation of life. You're made to live in relationship with me, in relationship with each other, to co reign and rule the world, and you will do that forever if you'll trust me. And they said, I'm... I, I, I think there's another explanation. It might be in that tree that you said, don't eat from. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So they, they said, I'm going to figure this out on my own because I think I, I think I got a better explanation, God, for life than that. And they sought it. They sought it. God said, there's a limit. There, the, you know, life is found. This is just an aside, but li- I just have to say this because of the rootedness of this in, in, in the beginning. Life, <laughs> we often think, is found In having all the answers, knowing it all, and having ultimate freedom to do everything we want, when we want, why we want, without any level of limit or authority. I'm telling you, that's the way kids think life is, don't they? Isn't that the way adolescents, and I've raised them, I'm raising them now, teenagers, isn't that the way I was when I was 17? I'm gonna live finally mom and dad or whatever right see we think that and we think it as adults but don't ever forget that life as god intended it okay is a life with limits it was that way from the beginning (laughs) and it's going to be that way in eternity because god is god and we are not so You see that play on words, then how how he gets to that and explains even Adam and Eve. Okay, so how does he answer the question? Answer the question, Lloyd. (laughs) And the question is, why do the good die young, and why do the wicked live long? You could say anything. Why why does this world not make sense? Why do they? You know, because that's an inject. That's not right. That's not right. I'm gonna figure that out. What's his answer? What does he say? Well. He, he already answered it. Now, follow me on this. Look again at verse 14 when he said, God has made the one as well as the other, and I didn't read this, but I will now, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him, so that man will not discover. Why do the good die young and the wicked live long? God. That's not enough. i got to know more about i got to get behind that. This is God, and you won't discover. And so Solomon seeks to discover. It's okay. I'm not knocking, searching for answers, et cetera. This is all appropriate. But Solomon goes after it, but but God has already said man will not discover. And so I'm going to ask you a question. At the end of the day, did Solomon discover the answer to the question at one level? Did he? Let's let him answer. Look at verse 23. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. Y'all, it it was out of reach. He restates it. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious, deep. Who can discover it? It's rhetorical. What's the answer? What's the answer? Solomon says that, not me. And then look down at verse uh, 27, 28. says, uh, Behold, I've discovered this, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I'm still seeking, but have not found. Now, he finds something, but he doesn't find the ultimate discovery in a sense, does he? I mean, why doesn't he? Well, quite frankly, because God said you won't discover it. Now, if there's a part of you that goes, well, Yes, I will. <laughs> then, then, and it's normal. It's normal. Do you know what that is? That's our fallen nature. So, you know, we all do. We go, well, by golly, I will. In, fi- in fact, Solomon, think about it. He's the wisest man who ever lived. And he said, I will. And he tried. And he didn't. And neither will you or me. So... The answer, why do good people die young? Why do wicked people live long? What's the answer? And beyond God is, you will never know. See, we don't like that answer, right? I'm just, I'm telling you... God's answer is you will never know. And to the degree we to the degree we go, you know, we fight against that, which we all do, but the degree we fight against that, I think part of what Solomon shows us is the first person we will run into is a lady. Her name's foolishness. And she'll grab us and won't let go. There's a limit to what we can know in this life. And when our in our sanest moments, okay, we recognize it. But sometimes our sane moments are few and far between, aren't they? And we just go, no, I have to know. I I, I got and, and in fact we may say I ha- before before I can trust you, God, I've got to resolve this. I get that. That's And aren't we do that, you know? But ultimately, in God's grace and kindness, we pray that we would come to a place where we stop and we recognize we're not God. And to know everything would be to be God, and we're not. But that doesn't limit our life. In fact, that unleashes us to life because in the beginning we were made. Limited. But not so limited that we couldn't worship and trust God. One sentence, I think, can maybe capture some of this. We can trust the actions of God because we know the character of God. This is this is pretty big. We can trust the actions of God because we know the character of God. I'm telling you, God will do things in your life and mine. He's doing them now and in this world that make no sense that we don't get. We can't reconcile. I can't reconcile that. That's a bit. And I get it. And it's not. We're not. We're not to just be um, like not have an intellect and seek to understand things. But we always have to approach our intellect and our pursuit of things with an understanding that we will come to a wall, and it's not a wall of harm, and it's not a wall of. Uh, God's against us it's actually a wall of, it's a gift of grace we'll hit a wall in our, in our ability to know and at that point we can bow before the king of kings and the lord of lords as he's revealed in the bible or we can keep busting our head against the wall God in his kindness opens our eyes those who believe in Christ to believe that you know God I can trust you because I trust your actions because I know your character And we come to Isaiah 55, 8 with a greater understanding when he said in the New Living Translation, I like it this way, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Wow. Let's stand together, I'm going to send you out with a benediction, but I'm also going to Reach back to what Eric talked about and what we cannot escape every time we open our Bibles. We can trust the actions of God because we know the character of God. Now, here's where everything lands. Sometimes God does things or things are going on and we wonder, you know, do you love me? I hope you hear me say this and Rob say this and Eric and all who walk with you and lead and teach God answered the question of his love for us most clearly and definitively in one place. In one place. Now, he answers all over, but most clearly and definitively where? On the cross. So, we've got to go to the cross and say, you know, we can't go to, man, this person I love just died, or I've got, God, do you love me? We've got to take those things and bring them to the cross and say, God, do you love me? We've got to go to the cross and say, yes, definitively. Most assuredly, God loves me. Because think about what happened on the cross. God's only son died young. (laughs) You know, Abraham, Martin, and John, why do the good die young? Let me tell you something. There has never been a human being die, in a sense, more unjustly than the Son of God. For he not only died young, he was innocent. And you sit and you, it just blows your mind. You go, well, then, according to the Bible, if the Bible's true, then only sinful people die. And you're telling me that Jesus had no sin, and we all go, that's right. He had none of his own, but boy, did he have all of ours because he willingly said, I'll take all of yours and put it on myself, and I'll die in your place and pay the penalty. He's dead, 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 three days in the grave, but because he had no sin of his own, he rose again. Ultimately, the answer to all of our questions, and I'm not saying this to dodge the questions, the hard ones, they're all found in Jesus. If Jesus is who he said he was, did what he said he did, the answers are in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, so every answer in life I'll have answered in Jesus? Mm mm, mm mm, that's not what I mean. <laughs> Because there are answers in life that are not meant for for us to know. But all we need to know, to know life now and life eternal, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want you to bow your head. And I want you to have a conversation with God if you want to. And maybe there's something in your world and your life right now that you have not been able to untie the Gordian knot, to split it open with a sword. You have not been able to do it. And maybe it's time for you to go, because I can't. And God, that doesn't mean you don't love me, and it doesn't mean that you're not God. And maybe it's a time to to repent and say, Lord, you're God, not me. I'm going to invite you just to have a conversation with God about that, the limits to our wisdom. the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given him that he might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. If you would like someone to pray with you, we want to pray with you. So we always have a team just right up here in this corner. And yes, you will be like a fish swimming upstream because you've got to go this way and everyone's going that way. But we'd love to pray with you, so just make your way up here and let us pray with you if you'd like. Otherwise, you are dismissed. God bless.